We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The regular season is over. We are going to react to the Week 18 shenanigans, probably run in a gratuitous touchdown on Arthur Smith in the process, talk a little bit about the Jaguars. All coming up next on the Roto-Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Jeff Erickson here with Nick Whalen. Regular season is done. The playoffs are starting up. We'll do our fantasy football player drafts this week, uh, playoff drafts this week. Uh, but we right now we're here to recap everything that did happen in week 18. Jeff Erickson here with Nick Whalen. Nick, I'm sorry. I, I don't have to ask you how you're doing, unfortunately. I'm so sorry. Um, I want I should have lit a candle for this. Uh, I could probably do it on air. I got a candle within reach, so it's a mandal uh but uh anyhow um sorry about your jaguars tough finish to the season you know i'm at peace with it i really am i i went in with low expectations as i advise anyone who has any emotional investment in the jacksonville jaguars to do so i was kind of mentally preparing myself for the worst case scenario you know i, I was watching the game with some friends i was you know trying to prepare everyone for what they were about to see and you know it it Kind of started early on, right? I mean, Tennessee uh, on their first drive of the game, right after Jacksonville goes down, puts together a nice 11-play drive for a field goal. You'll take it. You know, seven plays later, Tennessee marches down the field for their first touchdown of the game. And I think that that set the tone and that set the the alarm bells off if you were a Jaguar supporter realizing that, okay, maybe we're not going to see the carryover that we thought we might from what this defense looked like last week against Carolina uh, you know, the, the run defense obviously completely collapsed. Derrick Henry, you know, starting the second half with that 69-yard run to, to basically hand another touchdown to Tennessee. He goes 19 for 153, one of his better games of the entire season. We saw Derrick Henry, you know, speaking to the fans on the Jumbotron after the game. Certainly seems like a guy who, who realizes his time in Tennessee might be up. Will be very interesting to see if that is ultimately the case, you know, where he goes, you know, what, what kind of role is he in going forward. Um, but really on the Jacksonville side of things, this is about what I expected to be honest. Trevor Lawrence looked awful. He made like five terrible throws in a row Ugh. to end this game. Really other than the deep ball to Calvin Ridley, which was their, their one explosive on the day. He didn't look great. He didn't look great. And you know, obviously I'm disappointed in this result. With that said, even if the Jaguars won this game, I think it was pretty clear that this team wasn't going to do anything in the postseason. They were probably going to get bounced in round one. So that's, that's the silver lining. At least what I'm telling myself, the far bigger issue is that, all the momentum that this team felt like it had built over the last calendar year is now gone. You don't even, I mean, it's fair to now question, like, is Trevor Lawrence even the guy? I mean, you're going into his fourth year now. 
And it, it kind of feels like this is all of a sudden a prove it season for a guy who showed enough last year, showed enough early this season that you know, I remember when we, were, we were on air, Jeff, for that, that Jags Bengals game. And they kept saying the Jaguars franchise quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, he's their franchise guy. I, I still think he is, but man, it's like, if somebody asked you straight up, Hey, who would you rather have Jordan Love or Trevor Lawrence going forward? Is anybody taking Trevor Lawrence right now? Um, not after the way Love looked down the stretch, and including saying. yesterday again against a previously fearsome Bears defense. Uh, Love looked great. We'll get to that in a second, but you know, I, I'm willing to kind of give a little bit of a pass to Lawrence because he played the last month and a half basically hurt. Um, and is clearly he's yeah. compromised. I mean, the fact that he's you know he did, hasn't had a full practice really in since the Bengals game. Uh, since he did, you know, um. I, I think since then, it's just been, I think, almost a giant write-off on the offensive side of things. You know, Kirk didn't, you know, Kirk got hurt on the first play of that game, too, and that was a massive yeah. play uh, for the rest of the Jaguars season. I'm kind of concerned more about what happened to the defense, to be honest with you there. You know, they were previously a fearsome run defense, and Henry gashed them all day. Um, mm -hmm. Their pass defense has been awful for a while now. Um, yeah. They have a great pass rush. Josh Allen has had an incredible year. Uh, but the secondary took a step backward. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned about that. Um, I think the offensive line, the, the run game also really took a step backward too. And I think the offensive line, that's going to be a, an area that they need to address in the offseason as well. I, I think this roster was kind of a paper tiger in some ways. I, I think it looks yeah. good. And then, you know, if two or three key pieces get hurt, which is going to happen to every team over the course of the NFL season. I, I think the Jags' lack of depth got exposed pretty quickly. Yeah, and, I agree. you know, this is a, a team that's, you know, it, it's been a an issue for this franchise for a long time, you know, well before Doug Peterson or Trevor Lawrence showed up. I mean, they're, they're a team that when, when things go bad, they tend to spiral. And when things are good, you know, they, they you know, they kind of let the good times roll, but they, they cannot really pick themselves up uh, when, when, when the offense starts to sputter, when the defense starts to sputter, you know, they, they just kind of do the same thing every single week. And we basically heard Trevor Lawrence say that, you know, after the game yesterday, it's like, you know, we've been, this is like seven weeks in a row where we keep saying, all right, this is the week we're going to rediscover it. And they just never did. They, they never did. And it, it certainly felt, you know, watching this game, the Jags had multiple opportunities. Thanks in large part to a terrible interception by Ryan Tannehill <sighs> in the fourth quarter, threw it right to Andre Cisco in the middle of the field, gifting the Jaguars an opportunity to, to score and tie this game. They get all the way to the one yard line. Trevor Lawrence, you know, audibles to the you know Superman over the top play on fourth down. They're, they were too far out for that. You know, they're at like the two, two and a half yard line. And like the play technically worked. Lawrence just couldn't quite reach far enough despite his size and despite his reach. They, they you know, came up like two inches short of what would have been a touchdown. But to me, that's more emblematic of the Jags just not having anything in the red zone, not having anything in short yardage situations in general. You know, third down, they try to run some sort of, you know, play action. Yes. Like, there's just nothing there. Lawrence has to throw it away. And that's just that, that's what the offenses look like in the red zone all year. It's like they they do not have a running back who they feel, even with two opportunities, because obviously that was four down territory. They don't feel comfortable handing it off to ETN or Bixby because they know they're not going to get a push. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's not a shortcoming of the running back, by the way. That's a shortcoming of the offensive line. And I, I just, yeah, again, it, it all stems from that. Yeah, and I agree. Like the, the play call sequence there. Especially the, uh, an RPO with Lawrence when you know, I mean, you shouldn't have him being running outside trying to take on a tackler there with a bad shoulder and a bad ankle and a, all the other, you know, Frankenstein thing he has going on there. Uh, and, and there was like one receiver in the pattern. It, it was just a brain dead yeah. call. So the follow up question then is 
do you recommend change? Should there be a coaching change, a coordinator change, uh, GM change? There should have been a GM change years ago. Uh, I don't. I don't know that the Jags really do anything here. I mean, Press Taylor, the play caller and kind of the right hand man for Doug Peterson. I, I think he has been the the target of the pitchforks for Jags Nation all season, and, and certainly mm-hmm. that you know yesterday didn't do anything to ease those concerns. So I. I do think it, it's kind of similar to the Joe Barry, Matt LaFleur relationship where, you know, LaFleur has been so loyal to Joe Barry. Peterson has been extremely loyal to Press Taylor dating back to the Philadelphia Eagles days. Um, I, I don't, I certainly don't think Doug Peterson's job is really in jeopardy. I, I think it might be in jeopardy going into next season. And if they win seven or eight games again, then yeah, he's going to be on his way out. But if I was the owner of the Jaguars, which hopefully someday I will be, I would yeah. say, look, Doug Peterson, we want you back. Press Taylor's not calling the plays, man. This was a complete disaster all season. There was even confusion at times over, you know, Peterson claimed he was calling the plays. Sometimes Press Taylor was calling the plays for one half, Peterson calling the plays for the other. Like, but I don't know what, you know, how, how you think that's going to be successful. Um, so the play calling is number one. Obviously addressing the offensive line is number two. And, you know, I, I think just building out a roster of, of more depth, right? I mean, that's that to me is the biggest, the, the number one issue the Jaguars have is, they did. They kind of stood pat in free agency for the most part. You know, they made a trade for Ezra Cleveland at the deadline to, to beef up their offensive line. Didn't seem to matter. The offensive line got worse actually since he showed up. Um, so I, I think there's a little bit of hubris with with how they finished last season, thinking, "All right, well, we're good. We're just gonna we're automatically going to take another step forward because we're an ascending young team." Right. And I, I think when you go into a season with that somewhat entitled mindset, this is exactly what's going to happen. And I mean, now they go into next season as what? second, maybe even the third best team in their own division with, with the way that Houston and Indy have closed. Yeah. And, and to your point too, about like injuries happen, depth gets exposed. Look down the road, look at Houston. I mean, they're, in t- they, they had 13 guys on like with right. an, on the offensive line that were hurt 13 guys on IR. I think at one point in time, they overcame, they won a game with case Keenum starting at quarterback in division right. at Tennessee. That's the difference. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the last thing I'll say on the Jags. We don't we don't need to, to bore the listeners anymore. We can keep running through this slate. I know we don't want to go for two hours today, but I, I think that's what's really frustrating is there, there are other teams in your own division, let alone you know the rest of the NFL, who have had worse injury luck than you, who on paper have worse talent than you, <clears throat> and have still performed better than you, right? I mean, Houston, Houston has less depth in theory than the Jaguars do, and yet with all those guys on IR, with their entire offensive line banged up, with half of their defensive line missing games down the stretch, they didn't really miss a beat, you know, and, and Jacksonville, it feels like it, like missing two, two key players out of 22 starters, your entire team shouldn't really crumble in the way that they did. Yeah. Christian Kirk being one of them should not be that huge right. of a difference. Maker. Very good player. All due respect to Christian Kirk. He should not, your, your entire offense should not hinge on the health of Christian Kirk. Right. That's a problem. Indeed. All right, let's move on. Let's talk, uh, let's talk Houston Indy. Um, that, and we probably won't hit every single game. We'll, we'll vary a little yeah. bit in our format this time, just because. Nobody really needs to hear us break down Denver, uh, Denver and the Raiders on here. I mean, no one really cares about that. Uh, Houston Indy, uh, huge game for CJ Stroud. First play of the uh, offensive play of the game for them. Bam, seventy-five yard touchdown to Nico Collins. Went for one hundred and twenty more after that. Collins did. I mean, he, he was the only receiver out there really that they that got more than nine yards. Uh, Dalton Schultz had in the forties, but I'm talking wide receivers. I mean. You know, Robert Woods did nothing. They, you know, Noah Brown didn't even play. Obviously, no Tank Dell. Here they are. Bam. They're in the playoffs. First year under CJ Stroud. First year under D'Amico Ryans. I mean, hats off to them. 
hats off to you know Goodson for dropping that pass on oh. fourth down that that ultimately sealed it for Houston. I mean, uh, throwing a little bit behind him, obviously, but you, know, you, you still think you got to bring that one in. I mean, that unfortunately robbed us of what would have been a really fun final sequence. And yeah. you know, in, in Indianapolis, I, I kind of admire their discipline. I mean, they I think they ran the ball seven times in a row prior to that fourth down call, and it was the right call. I mean, it was wide open, right? If he just yep. brings that in and even falls to the ground, you're still getting a new set of downs and you're in the red zone. But this was a great game. I, I think it was about as expected. You know, I, I gave slight lean toward the Houston Texans. We saw the line move in their direction as the week went along just because of the quarterback. I, I thought, you know, like in, in a game that I feel like is a total toss-up, you know, it's the second meeting between division opponents, win and get in, you're on the road. I just, I trust C.J. Stroud more than I do Gardner Minshew. And, you know, Minshew didn't play poorly. He didn't have like the, you know, the, the crushing viral interception or anything like that. Uh, but this was a game that that Indy played very, very conservatively. And I mean, 30 carries for Jonathan Taylor for 188 yards and a touchdown. He ended up leaving the game late. It did come back. Um, but, you know, I, I think we saw some of the uh, some of the effects of, of that heavy workload. I mean, you, just, you don't really see 30 carry games in the NFL anymore. No, you don't. Uh, at one point, Taylor was doubtful to come back and then, oh, he's back. Um, yeah. OK, uh, you know, Zach Moss went six for 30 at. Could have used him a little bit more, but they, uh, I mean, Taylor was awesome. He had the long 49 yard touchdown run. They only let Minshew throw it 24 times, one sack in there also. Mm -hmm. But he, that's maybe why he didn't have the soul crushing pick. I think they were maybe a little too conservative. I mean, you got Michael Pittman out there, you got Josh Downs against the Texans defense that got absolutely torched by Joe Flacco just a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. I think I would have opened it up just a little bit more. I, I agree. I think in retrospect, the Colts would probably say the same thing. Um, you know, I think that conservativeness led to a really inefficient day on, on third down. I mean, they didn't, they didn't convert their first third down of the day until late in the fourth quarter. They were one of 11 on third downs, 0 of 1 on fourth downs. Of course, that one being the, the drop screen pass. Uh, you know, they attempted a long field goal as well and missed. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the Colts probably thought they could, they could win this game you know, with their defense, which has been very up and down. It's been super hit or miss. You know, it's either played really well or really poorly. And I thought they did a good job for the most part on Devin Singletary. I mean, Houston did its best to pound the run as well. I mean, 24 carries for Singletary. We saw like almost no Damian Pierce whatsoever. Uh, and holding Singletary to 63 yards with a long of seven, uh, considering how he's played over the second half of the season, I think you'll take that if yep. you're Indy. The problem is you can't be giving up nine to nine for 195 at a score to Nico Collins and even the even the touchdown to Andrew Beck I mean it was it was like a what eight seven eight yard or something like that uh but a really great play design and he's wide open in the back of the end zone yep Stroud zipped it in there it was it was well designed uh indeed Houston they host uh the Cleveland Browns in a rematch of a couple of weeks ago this is in the traditionally Houston playoff spot whenever they have a, a home playoff game they are the Saturday afternoon game sure enough here they are hosting the Browns in this one here um Let's talk Cleveland Cincy real quick, and then we can talk about this matchup. Yeah. I don't really have a whole lot to say about he, uh, Cleveland Cincy nope. because honestly, you know, th this was a nothing game. Jamar Chase got his four catches. Um, Tyler Boyd got one catch in what was probably his last game. Joe Mixon got his production. But honestly, Cleveland didn't care. They didn't play anybody. Um, there's not much to say except, mm -hmm. except more about a postmortem on the Bengals season. Well, I think the other way to spin this is, man, do we have to worry about the Browns? They were down 30 to nothing to the Cincinnati Bengals in, in, in week 18. You know, they've lost all the momentum going into the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, no, this was more of a lay down than we expected. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I think there was some momentum, you know, the more I, I listened to podcasts and, you know, read, uh, you know, kind of you know, gambling minds throughout the week. There's a lot of like, well, you know, this number's up to like seven. I, I think the Browns can hang around. This will be maybe low scoring. 
no, it, it was clear like five minutes into the game that, that Cincinnati was going to roll. Big day for Joe Mixon. Uh, you know, Chase Brown got in the mix in the second half as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're, you're just going to see a lot of names uh, on really on both sides. So you're like, oh, okay, Charlie Jones, Andrea Ayasovis, uh, you know, Tanner Hudson uh, in the mix. This was a kind of complete laydown uh, really by both sides in the second half. And I mean, Cleveland didn't even get on the board until what, seven or eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, yep. was not a, a banner day necessarily for for Jeff Driscoll, who's always held this intrigue around the league. You know, it's even, I was talking to John about him last week on the pod. He's like, I don't know, man. He's, he's super athletic. You know, you, you never really think a guy like him is that athletic. He tested off the charts. I think this is why, uh, you know, what we saw yesterday, uh, why, why he's kind of been, been stuck in this third, fourth quarterback role uh, since leaving college football. Former Bengals legend Jeff Driscoll, That's uh, right. former Lions legend Jeff Driscoll, and yeah. among other places there. Charlie Jones had a big punt return touchdown earlier in the season. Uh, he was supposed to maybe he got drafted ahead of Ayasovich, but uh, you know, you know, both of them might be competing for that uh, Tyler Boyd role next year. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I've made my opinions, uh, my, my emotionally held opinion uh, note uh, about T Higgins. I think they should try to find a way to keep them. Um, even if it's the one year franchise tag, and then they have to deal with this next year. Um, keep the band together. Um, I, I got in a debate on Twitter a little bit with Tom Kastnick about this, and he is thinking the Bengals should shake it up, but I disagree. Um, I think this is a giant write off season. Uh, and I think they should find a way to keep Higgins involved next year. I know it's, Cap constraints are there. It's real and powerful, but I think it's such a better te- uh, team when they have both Chase and Higgins. I respectfully disagree because I think he should go sign with the Jaguars. Uh, for <laughs> and, you know, there we go. They, maybe we'll, you know, we'll, we'll send you Calvin Ridley. You could sign him maybe for less this summer, uh, you know, reunite Lawrence, ETN, Higgins. That's the dream scenario, man. And it's, it's realistic if, if Cincinnati, you know, opts to, to not pursue T Higgins, but I, I think you're right. I think the franchise tag to me makes the most sense. I think if you're T Higgins, you're not thrilled about that, but I also think, you know, as far as these type of negotiations go and we'll, we'll find out, you know, that sometimes guys can, can kind of change on a dime or, or get some outside influence, uh, you know, when it, when push really comes to shove, but I think T Higgins has been pretty amicable about this whole thing, right? I mean, there's oh, yeah, not a lot of great. receivers. Right. Yeah. There's not a lot of receivers that would just say like, yeah, you know, we didn't get it done. I'll, I'll just play out the season. No big deal. I mean, if anything, it feels like it goes the complete opposite way uh, more often than not. So I, I do think, you know, they're dealing with what seems to be a very reasonable person and somebody who, you know, may be more open to something like the franchise tag or, or kind of pushing off these negotiations than your average receiver. But uh, nonetheless, I am rooting hard for T Higgins to hit the open market. Yeah, I can imagine, especially because there's not going to be a whole lot out on that open market otherwise. Yeah. There, I, uh, ironically, by the way, Jeff, I forgot to mention this when we talked Jags Titans. <laughs> I, I hate to say this because I've rooted against this man for so long, but I feel like Derrick Henry signing a one-year deal with the Jags would actually make a ton of sense. Like that is exactly the type of back they need. Yeah, that would be a bitter pill for Titans fans to swallow for uh, sure. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, he's from the area, you know. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I yeah be good for you guys all right let's talk uh cleveland houston here let's uh do a quick look look ahead to uh the first playoff game uh what do you guys what do you think is going to happen on this one here i think as far as the you know obvious early saturday afternoon slot goes and like you said i mean this if you're the nfl schedule makers this is like the lock of all locks this is like your dream saturday afternoon matchup browns texans (laughs) we're hearkening back to the days of matt schaub uh we're, we're seeing the browns as two and a half point road favorites Wow. Which is interesting to me. Not not necessarily surprising. You know, maybe you're baking in the, you know, the extended rest. You know, uh, Cleveland's had so many guys, you know, especially on defense who've kind of been banged up 
week to week. You know, you think of someone like Miles Garrett now getting a chance to, to be probably as close to full health as he's been since midseason. Uh, but that's that's still a lot of faith in, you know, ultimately your fourth quarterback in Joe Flacco. And you know, I think there's still going to be questions about Elijah Moore, who, who suffered, suffered what seemed to be a fairly serious concussion. Obviously, Amari Cooper was banged up as well. I do think if, if Cleveland could come into this game at full strength, I like the Browns to win in cover. I, I think they could win this game by a field goal. Um, you know, Houston, credit to them, certainly for rallying over these last two weeks, you know, winning a really tough game on the road last week. But I, I still feel like this offense is not quite at the level that it was when Tank Dell was healthy. You know, it, it kind of feels like right now it's Nico Collins and then a huge drop off to any other Agreed. playmaker. And I think against a defense like Cleveland, that's where you're really going to feel the Tank Dell absence. Yeah, and I don't know if we're going to get Noah Brown back. I mean, it was a must-win yeah. game for Houston, and he couldn't go. Robert Woods right. was barely there. Um, he's hurt his, himself. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's basically Collins and, and Schultz and maybe a dump off to Singletary. I, I think it's easy to say, well, look at what happened a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, Stroud didn't play in that game, um, and that, that makes a huge difference. But still, yeah, I, I'm leaning on taking Houston with the points right now, but I'll, I'll reserve the right to change that in the next okay. couple of days, see what happens with that. Uh, we are on the Blue Wire Network. Here are a couple of their ads. This Rotowire podcast is brought to you by my favorite meal kit, Factor. I gave Factor a try, and I can tell you firsthand, eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every meal arrives fresh, not frozen, and they're chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. Every week, you'll have over 35 different options to choose from, and there's something for every diet, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after those wellness goals. One of my favorite things about Factor is the convenience. We're talking meals that are good to go in two minutes or less. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. There's no prep, there's no mess, no cooking, no cleanup, none of that. It's perfect if you have a busy lifestyle and you can't dedicate an hour plus each day to preparing lunch or preparing dinner. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Factor also offers options for every meal. Pancakes, smoothies, you name it. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, dinner, whatever you need, Factor has it. Factor is also tailored to your schedule, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week. Plus, you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. We've run the numbers over here. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be both nutritious and delicious. Head over to factormeals.com slash rotowire50 and use the code rotowire50. That'll get you 50% off your order. That's code rotowire50 at factormeals.com slash rotowire50 to get 50% off today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now 
and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. Thanks for your indulgence with that. Thanks to Blue Wire. Uh, let's keep on uh, breaking down some of the other playoff relevant slates. Let's talk. Let's 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 hit up this. We did the AFC South. Let's hit the up the NFC South. Let's get all the popular teams going in all at once here. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Touchdown Gate and New Orleans Atlanta real quick. I mean, what a what a fitting end to to this division uh to to this game specifically to this season for both of these teams yeah uh that was that was just an unbelievable moment that was one of my one of my favorite moments of the entire yeah. season and then of course we get the quintessential Jameis winston interview explaining that was the best part what happened yeah dude Jameis is it's just unbelievable how like authentic this guy is like he is truly like a like a movie character come to life like there's never been a guy like this like you, you know usually there's, there's like been funny players who we made fun of over the years and then usually you kind of realize like oh it's kind of an act he's playing into it like this is just like totally who Jameis is. Like he gave a legit like three and a half minute interview uh, explaining slash defending why he decided to audible out of a kneel down uh, to to run in a touchdown to make it 48 to 17 with under a minute left. I mean, if you're Arthur Smith, I, I think you're actually right to be upset about this. Normally, I, I actually am, am kind of against coaches barking at each other in these situations. But, you know, the, the game was well in hand. Uh, you know, to it, it's one thing if you just line up in a normal formation and you score, but I think specifically it's the fake kneel down that, that makes it feel like you're rubbing it in. Um, and then of course, on top of this, Arthur Smith finds out, you know, a few hours later that he's can't. Yeah. Well, and maybe, I don't know. I, yeah, the fake kneel down sucks, but, um, just line up in a normal for formation. I mean, that it was funny. I heard reports like the jet, uh, the Falcons, uh, defenders were asking the offensive women, are you guys just going to kneel it down? I mean, they were hoping for that and all that, but you know what? James, uh, James is kind of right, though. Funny. I mean, hell, they're at the one. Jamal Williams hadn't scored all year. Yep. You know, these guys are professionals, too. Uh, I don't know if there's any contract clauses that were triggered with that, but yeah. um, probably not because you probably had to get like 10 touchdowns for it to matter. But he got hurt in the first game of the year. Um, right. He, I don't know. I, I, it's Arthur Smith, too. And it just couldn't happen to a nice Yeah, team. right. There's not a lot of people out there that are like, you know, oh, poor Arthur Smith. I don't think he's really, you know, uh, getting a bunch of sympathy here. But no, the, the Jameis explanation was great. If you haven't watched it, just search Jameis Winston on Twitter and it'll, it'll be 100 videos that yeah. pop up. I mean, part of his defense was, well, you know, we, it, it, we almost had a pick six, you know, and would it have been rubbing it in if we had ran it all the way back? So he's like, well, what's the difference if we just run it in from the one as opposed to having yeah. run it in on an interception return? And I'm like, for me, that was kind of like the Alonzo warning gif. I was like, well, yeah, it's actually not that bad of a point, I, I suppose. Right. Um, and, but yeah, and the and only then, reason know, wasn't a, it wasn't a pick six is because Honey Bear uh, was like showboating down the down on the return. If he goes like yeah. hard the whole way, he scores. But yeah, uh, that was a Logan Woodside interception, by the way. If you're wondering how this game went for Atlanta, uh, we, yeah. we got a Logan Woodside appearance at the end. Uh, nonetheless, 48-17 Saints Falcons. Their season's over. They're seven and ten. Obviously, they fired Arthur Smith. There was a a report that the Falcons may be very interested in Bill Belichick. Uh, should he become available? I, I would imagine he would have other suitors as well, but that would be an interesting landing spot, to say the least. Yeah. Um, I, I think to me, like, if you could, let, let's say you have your choice of the Falcons, Chargers, Commanders, Raiders, you know, all these open jobs right now. Is, is there one that you would say, man, this, this is the job I want? Chargers, Justin Herbert. Yes, I think I think that's the answer solely because of Herbert. 
Yeah. Falcons is appealing for other reasons. Obviously, you don't have the quarterback, but you know you have pretty much everything else that you need in place. Uh, you know, a team like Washington is appealing, or even New England, because obviously you have the chance to draft that quarterback. But uh, no, I, I think you're right. I think Chargers has to be the answer just because of Herbert and having Herbert locked up. Yeah, and I don't trust Belichick to draft that quarterback either. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I'm not going to lie. Um, I think I, Coach Bill Belichick's a hell of a lot better than GM Bill Belichick. But then again, I don't know. I mean. It's, yeah. it's hard well, to do you think do you think if he lands elsewhere because there was he also had a quote yesterday where he was like sounded open to relinquishing gm duties which is interesting i saw that to me. i saw that and yeah so so that to me is an indication that one you know maybe he's a little more interested in sticking around new england than we think and two if he goes somewhere else i i don't see this being like a john gruden situation where he's like if you hire me i get full control you know he, he seems like he's willing to at least relinquish part of that yeah um uh, yeah that but the damage is done in new england i mean that's if I were him, I wouldn't want to coach there. Like uh, that's that's the worst of all these situations. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, it, it. But for the fact that he's won what he's done, he's done what he's done there, and that and all the roots that are there and all that. But who even knows what the working relationships are there? It may be time for you know parting. But he did sign an extension too, so he's under contract. So they'll have to figure that part out. Uh, Saints side. I mean, I don't think Dennis Allen is that good of a coach either. Uh, you know. I know. I saw fire Dennis Allen was trending on Twitter last night because Saints fans were ticked off that he's defending Arthur Smith more than his own players. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, it, and plus it's just been kind of a, one of those seasons for the Saints. I mean, yes, they got the win in week 18, but the damage was done previously. So they lost all the tiebreakers. Yeah. I mean, this is not necessarily what you, what you want. Uh, I, I think if you're, if you're the Saints, you know, I think Dennis Allen is like the most, average coach in the NFL, maybe, maybe below average at times. Like he's just not, not really somebody who moves the needle whatsoever. And, you know, you win this game in dominant fashion, doesn't end up mattering whatsoever because Tampa Bay uh, had, had already beaten Carolina. And that was a game that went really quickly just, just based on game flow. So like by the time you yeah. know, the New Orleans game had wrapped up, they already knew it's not like they were you know going to the locker room to, to watch the end of the Tampa Bay game. Right. Uh, so just, yeah, a, a very weird season from New Orleans, you know, never, we, we kind of talked about them, early in the season as like, all right, you know, maybe, maybe this could be a 10, 11 win team. You know, they're in a bad division and just never really felt like they got off the ground, never really broke into that true contender status. And I, I don't, I don't really know what changes this off season to, to push them a higher level up. I mean, if you're running it back with Derek Carr, I think we know you're probably stuck in that middle zone, no matter what. And you are running it back with Daryl, uh, with Derek Carr. There, there's no way you can get around that with that contract. Yeah. I mean, they, this is, this is their, they're a lot in life. Now, Derek Carr played great yesterday, by the way. He did. Um, 9.4 yards per attempt. He was not captain check down. Uh, Shahid got a long one. Alave had a touchdown. A.T. Perry was a machine. You know, despite coming into the game questionable with an illness, you know, it was, it was I mean, they, 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 it was beautiful. I mean, this is, this is the way this offense should run. I think you feel good about your weapons right now. That's that's kind of something you could say positively for for New Orleans. And you know, obviously Olave is going to continue to get better. I think Rashid Shahid has clearly proven that even if he is just a deep ball guy, like he's a lot more reliable than some of the other uh, mm -hmm. players who've been in that in that category. You know, you compare him to like MVS. You know, I think he kind of reminds me of like peak Robbie Anderson, who you know kind of went off the deep end and is you know the end of his career has not been great, but for a while there he was a really dangerous weapon. And and that's exactly what Shahid brings to this offense. And I, I really like A.T. Perry, man. I, I think he's like, he, he's kind of the succession plan for Michael Thomas because, you know, we're, we're going down that road yet again, right? Michael Thomas looked okay early in the season, got hurt, never came back. And I, I just, I, I don't, I don't really see him magically getting healthy as he near, you know, as he gets older 
uh, and moves further into his career. So I, I think you kind of go forward with that. Alave, Perry, Shahid, you know, Juwan Johnson has played well. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see what they do long-term with Alvin Kamara. Uh, obviously, you just drafted Kendra Miller to, to potentially be a longer-term replacement. So it's not it's not all doom and gloom for the Saints. It's just it's hard to see how you how you really break through to that next level in the NFC. Yeah, I, I think it's the end of the Kamara and Thomas era. I wouldn't be surprised. I saw we saw a lot of Kendra Miller yesterday. May yeah. not be him, but you know, I, I think it might be time. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's talk a little uh, Bucks. Uh, and and Panthers. But first, quick note, get ready for the ultimate big game parties at Circa Resort and Casino. Super Sunday is in Las Vegas this year. Watch the big game poolside at Stadium Swim's big game viewing party. Massive screen, booming game sound, and a view of the pyrotechnic and visual effects throughout the game. Snag the best seat in the sun with day beds, poolside boxes, cabanas, and more. Or touchdown at the world's largest sports book, Circa Sports for the big game bash. Three stories of football glory featuring a 78 million pixel screen. Book your seat with a variety of reservation options, including bottle service, open bar, stadium-style food, and more. Don't miss these legendary viewing experiences on February 11th. The Big Game Parties, only at Circa Resort and Casino. Reserve today at CircaLasVegas.com. The Bucks are going to be hosting the Eagles after they clinched the NFC South with a boring win over the Carolina Panthers. I don't think there's any, you know, there was, this was not an offensive uh, show, showcase here. Baker Mayfield got hurt early in this game. It mm-hmm. looked like for a second there that, you know, and he was already dealing with sore ribs going into this game. Looked like uh, it might've been a case there where, you know, they, they might've found a way to fall out of it. They're only putting up nine points against the Panthers. This was so ugly. So, so ugly. We had punts on 10 of our first 12 drives. Uh, the other two drives were a fumble by Carolina and a field goal by Tampa Bay. Obviously, they finished with three field goals on the day. Uh, I guess credit to the Carolina defense for showing up. That's kind of the one positive you could pull out of here. I mean, Juba Hubbard had, had an okay day. Uh, but other than that, man, I mean, this was kind of the same old story for Carolina, which was coming off of its worst offensive performance of the season. I mean, just 124 total yards. Last week against Jacksonville, which is an insanely low number. I mean, they rushed for more than that today. Like the running game was somewhat there. Uh, the, the per carry average wasn't fantastic, but 131 rushing yards as a team. Bryce Young, 11 for 18 for 94 yards. Took three sacks. Just, uh, man, I, this this Carolina team has become really tough to watch. I mean, Tampa Bay did not play well at all. Um, you know, I, I think you could argue, like if, if you just kind of blindly look at the numbers without looking at the final score, you probably think Tampa Bay lost this game. But uh, they, they did not. Carolina somehow found a way to play worse. I mean, this was a 4.0 yards per play day for Carolina, 3.6 for Tampa Bay, 228 mm. yards on 64 plays. Mm. Mm. I feel yeah. bad for the people like who are stuck with that game as their local option and not being a fan of one of these two teams uh, instead of watching other playoff relevant games or any other game that might've been relevant to any sort of interest at all, because this was a boring, boring, boring game. Rashad white did well. I thought he was about the one Tampa Bay option that had a decent game. I mean, God was six for 51, mm-hmm. but Mike Evans was totally shut down in this one. Baker Mayfield, 4.3 yards per passing attempt. There got sacked three times. Ah, I don't know. I mean, the, the good news for them is they still get a home playoff game. And I get it against an Eagles team that lost has lost now five out of their last six. Let, let's just move on to the Eagles and uh, th- this horrific game that they had where they benched their starters, not because of Dallas, but because of their own struggles. Yeah, this is something that we hit on on the XM show last week. And we I, I said it somewhat in jest, but I was like, 
you know, look, if you're, if you're the Eagles and you, you know, you could kind of go either way in this game, right? You could rest starters and just say, all right, you know, we, we're, we're going to kind of, you know, we're not feeling great about ourselves, but we'll get healthy and we'll, we'll try to figure this thing out with an extra week for the playoffs. Or you play your starters in an effort to generate momentum. And if you play badly, then you feel even worse about yourself. Yep. And I think that's exactly what happened to the Eagles. I mean, if you're an Eagles fan right now, like if you're on Twitter yesterday, it feels like this this team is just like, or this fan base is just giving up. Like they're fully expecting the Eagles to lose this game straight up to Tampa Bay in round one. And you kind of see why, man. I mean, Philly was was certainly trying early on. You know, they, they ended up pulling uh, Jalen Hurts and, and some of the starters late in the second quarter, but that was after an interception. By Hertz. That was after you know going out on downs. I think they punted three or four times. They had an AJ Brown fumble uh, where he banged up his knee as well. Thankfully, that does not look nearly as serious as it did at the time. I think that would have been the cherry on top of all this is you know losing AJ Brown to a serious knee injury. But I, I think the point of this entire week for Philly was you know one, hopefully you play well enough and maybe Dallas trips up, which obviously they didn't. Um, but it, it, if you're going to play your starters, you want to look good. You want to generate some positive momentum going into the playoffs. And I think for a team that was already kind of in panic mode and and, and worried going into the postseason, you've now made it worse. And yeah. I, I think that Philly Tampa Bay game is going to be really interesting because it's not like Tampa Bay is you know plowing into the playoffs with all this momentum. But I, I think the Eagles are very beatable right now. I mean, I, I think there's really only a handful of teams that you could say, yeah, it, you know, Philly for sure beats them ten out of time, ten out of ten times straight up. And that's a pretty small group of teams right now. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I. I, I could say, you know, you know, of all the the matchups Tampa Bay could get, this is one of the better ones they they could have asked for there. Absolutely, um, absolutely, and it's crazy to say that because you know, yeah. eight weeks ago you would not have said that at all, right? Well, I, I think you'd be terrified of Philly or Dallas, you know, coming to your place. But I think this is a great matchup. I I would rather play the Eagles right now than the Rams. Yeah, I I, I actually really agree with that. I think injuries have really wrecked this team. I'm seeing a lot of anti-Sirianni buzz on Twitter. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, a lot of people are starting to turn on him, thinking that this might be a must-win game, which is just crazy and preposterous if you think about it. But, I mean, I see how they've looked. I've seen some of the decisions they make. I will say one thing. Um, I was thinking about this with Buffalo last night, too, but Philly is the one that brought this about. I know mathematically it's the right – it's like it, it, it's effective, but this, this whole tush-push obsession is – it's not compelling football. It's not fun to see 17 quarterback sneaks a game. Um, and I also know that I think it takes its, it does take its toll on the, like the quarterback a little bit there. Mm -hmm. They're taking a lot of extra hits on this. I, I don't know. I, 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 there's maybe it's just a visceral reaction. It's an emotional reaction, but I think they, they get too dialed in on this. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, yes, we should, you, you should have this in your arsenal. But every single third and one, every single fourth and one, it's the same thing. And I guess, I mean, you know, when, when it works 85% of the time, I guess you yeah. do it. But I just think it, I think there's like ancillary costs to it. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, I would have to, you know, kind of hear from Jalen Hurts and, and the offense on that. Obviously, you know, it kind of results in a, a pileup more than anything where, you know, Hurts yeah. is just kind of being thrust in and, you know, you almost worry more about like, you know, the, the legs and the knees of offensive linemen when you yeah, just have too. a big pile of bodies. Uh, but I mean, it's been so effective that it's hard to knock it. You know, the Eagles seem to be embracing it. It you know it doesn't seem like it's something that they're like reluctant to run. Right. Uh, the problem is they just weren't in that do. situation yeah. very often yesterday. You know, they were facing a lot of third and longs. They didn't, they didn't have a whole lot of third and ones. I think they did one tush push on like their their first or second drive of the game, and that was it. Yep, that's right. That's right. Um, so 
you know, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it is, it, it's one of those things though, but AJ Brown got hurt in this game. Devonta Smith missed the game and we'll see what he's like. He, he can, he's going to be going into next year, but I don't know. I, I think it's, uh, I, I don't know. I think there, there's some legit concerns here. Um, and, and we'll see what happens with, uh, going forward, but I don't know. I, I'd be very concerned about, uh, their, their status. Deandre Swift missed with an illness. I think they need to get him going. Um, the Bucks are a tough team to get to do that against, but I think they need that balance. Yeah, and you know we mentioned the AJ Brown injury. You know at the time looked disastrous, and especially at the time it happened, like the Eagles were not playing well. AJ Brown had just fumbled. That's the play he got hurt on, and you're like, oh my god, like to you know things are completely crumbling, and now AJ Brown looks like he seriously injured his knee. Uh, it does, you know, does look like this is a non-serious injury. That's what Mike Garofolo reported yesterday. Still something that could bother him, though. I mean, it's not like you have two weeks off here. It's like you still got to go play now on yeah. the road at Tampa. So I, I think it's fair to assume that A.J. Brown, you know, could be limited throughout the week. We'll see if he's 100%. You know, you mentioned Swift, uh, Devontae Smith. You know, those guys did not, uh, you know, did not play this past week. I, I don't really worry too much about getting those guys back, but uh, you know, if AJ Brown is at all compromised, I, I think that is just kind of another hit to a team that can't really afford to be without any of its key pieces. I mean, I, I kind of feel about like the Eagles, the, the way I went the Jags, if they had made it in where you're just like, all right, great. But like, there's no expectations. Like I, I haven't seen a single Eagles fan. who's like, all right, just had to get in. Now we'll make our run. I mean, it, it, it just feels like everybody's expecting them to, to either be tripped up by Tampa Bay or get blown out in the divisional round. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I haven't looked at the lines yet in this one. I'm going to guess Philly's like a five point favorite on the road with a like a, a total in the I'll say mid 40s, 44. What is the actual? What are the actual lines here? Totals 44 and a half. Philly two and a half point favorites on the road. Okay. I mean, I think that's what I think that's proper. I was just trying to guess what I thought it was going to be instead of what I think it should be. So I'm going to have a tough call on that one there. Um, I'll probably take Philly anyhow because I keep taking Philly and then wondering why I keep getting falling farther behind in staff picks, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, but yeah, I mean, we'll see what, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, Brown and Smith status. If they're out, I mean, they're screwed. Yeah. I mean, Philly won this game in week three. Uh, You know, Tampa had what 174 total yards in that game. (laughs) Philly had 472. So that was a long time ago. feels like a completely different version of this team. You know, maybe a slightly different version of Tampa as well, but I, I, I still like Philly here. If AJ Brown's good to go, I, I'm not taking the Eagles to lose this game. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'd pick them to win the next round, but I, I think they could find a way to get by a Buccaneers team that just put up three field goals in a must-win game on the Panthers. That could be plausibly a, a Philly-San Francisco second-round game. Um, or we could, you know, I mean, the Rams could beat Detroit. Uh, we could talk, yeah, and let, let's let's talk about uh, those two teams next, their respective games. We, we won't have to talk too much about the Rams-San Francisco game because it was yeah. all subs, but Detroit-Minnesota, there's a lot happening in this game here. Uh, Detroit played their starters the whole damn game. Like, even after they had an injury to Laporta, yeah. Amon Ross St. Brown's there in the fourth quarter. He gets banged up a little bit. They finally take him out in the fourth quarter a little bit. They had another receiver get hurt. They had golf in there with two minutes left in the game. I'm like, have, have we learned nothing here? The whole dang game. You know, I guess if you're going to commit to it, you fully commit to it. And the Laporta injury is, you know, number one reason that, you know, teams would, would, would prioritize the, the rest on the rust versus rest side mm-hmm. of that argument. And, you know, 
Uh, it's not looking good for Laporta. Hyperextension, bone bruise in that knee. Um, you know, not quite as serious as it initially looked, but also something that you would imagine keeps him out at least one week, right? I mean, we haven't really been given a timeline. I would be shocked if, if he's out there in any capacity uh, for the for the wild card round. But this was a, a pretty classic Minnesota-Detroit game, I think, about yeah. what you'd expect. Uh, you know, Nick Mullins <laughs> almost threw for 400 yards again. He also threw two more picks. Jared Goff had his, his, his ups and downs, mostly ups, pretty good game for him. Uh, there, I, I think the the most emblematic uh, you know part of this game was to begin the fourth quarter, 42-yard touchdown, or excuse me, this was end of the third quarter, 38-yard uh, touchdown to Justin Jefferson, 70-yard touchdown to Amon Ross St. Brown, 42-yard touchdown to Jordan Addison. Those all played out over the course of like six total plays. Yeah. And the defense was horrific on all three of those plays. The yeah. Addison one especially. The Addison one, I'm like, where, where is there a safety anywhere out there? I mean, it, it, it was wild. Detroit looked like they were going to put this game away so many times, and then a play yeah. like that would happen. Yeah, uh, just it's very disturbing. Nick Mullins uh, has threw for like a combined 800 yards in the two games against him in the last three weeks, mm-hmm. and he's Nick Mullins. Now he, of course, he threw six interceptions in those two games also because that's what Nick Mullins does. But I don't know. I, and, and I'll tell you what. I, I don't want to face, I mean, the Rams are the wrong team to face right now. If you're Detroit, especially Stafford revenge game in a playoff game. I mean, the storyline here is just ridiculous. Um, I mean, I, Detroit's such a feel good story to end on this kind of note. It's just, it's kind of scary. I mean, we'll see. I like the Rams with that game. I'll tell you, I, I think it's going to be close. I was a little surprised where the line came in. If you want to hazard a guess on that. All right, I do want to hazard a guess because I like that phraseology. Um, I'm going to guess it's Rams plus four and a half with a total of 47. Okay, total's up at 51 and a half. I'm seeing Rams plus three and a half, which to me, especially after the Laporta injury, I I thought this could have been two and a half, three. Uh, Three and a half seemed seemed a little much to me. I I think with that leaky, like Detroit's defense – didn't really shut anybody up this week, right? I mean, I, I think no. that that that's the no, big concern. Didn't. Like, I, I the Lions could score on the Rams, no question. The Rams are going to be able to score on Detroit, right? I mean, this is a game that I, I think could be 33-30, you know, last possession type of game. And and obviously the the, the Lions getting this at home, I mean, that's going to be one of the the better crowds I think that we're going to see in a long time, just because Detroit's been waiting for this. It's it's not going to be an easy environment for the Rams, but I, I think both defenses are really going to struggle. And I, I just three and a half is a little much to me. Like I'll, I'll happily take the Rams with three and a half points. But to be to be fair, I agree with you. Um, I, I I do think that I think your read on what the line should be is proper. Um, I'm just guessing wh- where I thought it was going to end up. So uh, I probably will take the Rams. Um, that that's my initial lean uh, as far as that goes. Uh, I'm trying to find the latest on Laporta to see if it, I, last I saw was like a hyperextension. Um, and of course, Campbell after the game was kind. Of, I feel like he was doing a little CYA, saying it's oh, it does, it's not as bad as it initially looked, or something like that. But yeah. hyperextension and bone bruise in his left knee is the latest there. Um, we'll find out more today. Uh, but I think he's going to miss time. I we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. I'm I'm playing internet doctor from my chair here from t- three thousand miles away. So you know, we'll, we'll dial that down just a little bit. But man, what a tough tough injury there. Really tough. I mean, again, this is a 50-50 game to me with Laporta. And you know, if he's unable to go, that's a, a major, major hit for the Lions, who obviously have Amon Ross St. Brown. But it's 
you know, not, not a team that has a ton of depth. They, they have a, a bunch of guys who kind of profile as like number two, number threes, who've, who've been fine for them as depth pieces, but you take Laporta out of the mix and that, that certainly changes things. Yeah. And Cleve Raymond left with a knee injury as well in this one here. Jamison Williams missed the game with his ankle injury that was not se- deemed not serious a week ago by Campbell. I think he's kind of, I think he's wish casting sometimes with these injury forecasts. Maybe that's why I am so skeptical about mm-hmm. his latest statements. Maybe I should, yeah, again, I'm not a doctor. I shouldn't be that. Shouldn't try to play one, but it's easy to want to do one. That's a kind of the knee jerk reaction by me. So anyhow, um, yeah, Rams, Niners. I don't even think we need to talk about this game because none of this, none of the critical players played. Oh, Debo and Ayuk played for some reason. I don't understand that. Why were why they were in there at all for that game is beyond me. They did leave of ultimately, and the backup receivers were found wanting. Yep. All the drops were happening in that game, but uh, let's move on from that. Uh, let, let's. I don't think there's really anything else to say about that particular game. Uh, let's talk uh, instead. We'll, we'll hit up. Uh, let's go. Which where do we want to turn this one here? Let's talk a little bit about uh, Green Bay and Chicago. I mean, the last NFC uh, playoff spot. Tip of the hat to the Packers. Um, They played their asses off. Jordan Love was awesome. Their defense, much to the chagrin of the Joe Barry hater nation, was really pretty darn awesome too, especially in the red zone shutting down fields. The the defense played a best-case scenario game, I thought. And, you know, I wouldn't say it was a best-case scenario game for the offense, but – Given the circumstances, it was pretty close. You know, Jordan Love, 27 of 32 for yep. 316 yards and two touchdowns. I think I said to you on Thursday, if Green Bay wins this game, it's going to be because going to be because it's a Herculean effort from Jordan Love. And I wouldn't say it, you know, it felt like he was carrying this team necessarily, but didn't really make a bad throw all day and made yeah. some really good throws. You had a touchdown taken off the board that I thought probably could have stood, you know, Bo Melton, one of those plays where he's kind of pinning the ball to his leg. Like, I understand 50-50, kind of a bang-bang call, uh, but an insane throw by Jordan Love in the back of the end zone with two defenders draped all over him. I mean, this was was a, a, you know, kind of reminder, like, I'm the guy type of game from Jordan Love. If there was anybody out there who who was questioning whether or not that was the case, I mean, my goodness. Like, he he played better in this game than than Aaron Rodgers had in, like, his last three or four win-or-go-home type of scenarios. Aaron Jones, you know, got him going as well. I mean, there were a few plays in the second half where it looked like Aaron Jones was hit at the line of scrimmage. You know, if that's, if that's AJ Dillon, if that's Patrick Taylor, they're down for a two yard loss. And there's Aaron Jones, you know, spinning his way out and picking yep. up three or four yards. Uh, did He did not become the first Packer ever uh, with three straight 120 yard games, but he got close 22 for 111. Another big day for Jaden Reed, multiple big plays had a 59 yarder where he got caught from behind uh, said he had to do 10 push-ups on the sideline because he got caught. I guess that's their team policy. Uh, but he finished four for 112. I mean, pretty easily the best rookie wide receiver season that the Packers have had in a very, very long time. Yeah. Uh, and and this Bo Melton character just continues to emerge. I mean, two straight weeks where he has been heavily involved. And it doesn't really feel fluky. And they're, he's kind of getting some of the Jaden Reed plays, two rushing attempts in this one here as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to find ways to get the ball in his hands. Jordan Love threw for 316 while getting nut, you know, with Christian Watson not playing and Romeo Dubs dropping the one pass attempt he had before leaving yeah. with an injury. Another great throw. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it, this this game should have been a bigger number, you know, for the Packers. If you look at the yards they put up in this game, uh, you know, Love did lose a fumble. Um, that that yeah. was that was that was, that was Trevor Lawrence fumble. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, he's doing this with Jaden Reed and Bo Melton and Dontavian Wicks, who got the two touchdowns. Tucker Craft is contributing. Musgrave's finally back, so there's that. But man, um, that 
they're going to be live against the Cowboys. I don't think this is going to be a squash. I, I think this is going to be a game. I, mean, I think this is another setup here where I think Dallas would have rather faced. Well, I don't. I don't think they'd rather face the Rams, even though they did crush the Rams earlier. But I mean, I, I, I of the three wildcard teams, the Eagles are easily playing the worst of the three. Yeah, no question. I think if you're Dallas, you're you're okay with this matchup. I, I still think you know the Cowboys at home are the vastly better team, but yep. they're vulnerable. They've they've been vulnerable in this very spot, you know, many times over the years. The Packers tend to play the Cowboys well, even when the Cowboys may have the talent advantage. So, yeah, I think if you're Dallas, you, you feel good about it, but you don't you don't feel great, you know, especially if the Green Bay defense can continue to kind of prop itself up like it has over these last two weeks. You mentioned the red zone defense that was fantastic. Some some timely sacks too, by Green Bay. Yep. I mean, Fields was sacked five times on the day, and at least three of those came on third downs, you know, to either, you know, stymie an attempt at, at what would have been, you know, first down to, to potentially score or to push the, you know, the Bears out of field goal range. I mean, those were huge, huge plays by by guys like Kenny Clark and Quay Walker got in on the action. Lucas Van Ness, their first-round pick, had a big sack as well. I did not see this performance coming by no. the Packers defense. I, I'm not shocked that you know, Jordan Love has played well of late. You, you can't say you're surprised by that. I did not see the defense showing up the way that they did. I mean, the yardage discrepancy alone, Green Bay put up 432 yards of total offense, 192 for Chicago, three of 11 on third down, 4.2 yards per play. And the other thing, Jeff, I mean, it, you notice if you're watching red zone or just watching games in the late window, this game ended like 20 minutes before any other game. Like there, there were games that were still like early in the fourth quarter when this game ended because there were long drives. It was a very short game. And I think this is what you want if you're Green Bay. Like Chicago only possessed the ball six times in the whole game. That's amazing. That's that, But that's a, you know, that's a tribute to the offense. That's just right. grinding out long drives, even though they only right. had 17 points to show for it there. Um, yeah, it, we are robbed of some dramatic finishes. Tampa Bay clinched early. First game done in the early window. This was like the first game done in the late window of the ones that mattered too. So that kind of it, it rendered Seattle, Arizona irrelevant. You know, it, it put you know the Saints were put out of their divisional misery uh, there. So I just I can't get over the defensive performance the last two weeks by the Packers. You know, they got torn up by Bryce Young, by Baker Mayfield, and Tommy DeVito in three right. consecutive weeks, only to turn around and shut down the Vikings and shut down the Bears. Um, kudos to them. I mean, they got it done. I, I, I yeah. I st actually, I, th I think this is probably still a pretty good setup for the Cowboys. I'll, yeah. I'll, let's hazard a guess on that one, too, while we're at it there. Uh, I'm going to say the Cowboys are a seven-point favorite with a total of 50. I think you'll see some sevens out there. I'm seeing seven and a half at ESPN bet. Uh, total 49 and a half, so you're, you're basically right on it. Yeah, um, got lucky there. Uh, but, yeah, it it's, it's just seems like a, a, a number, a good, you know, that hook is going to be critical. It's going to try to sucker people into taking the Packers. Mm -hmm. I feel like they want to do that. I don't know. We'll see. I might be that sucker and walk right through it. We'll see. But, yeah. uh, okay. We'll have all off season to speculate on what the bears do with fields and they're going to tell us anyhow. So yeah. we won't spend, we spent enough bandwidth on Sirius XM on that. So we'll move on. Let's talk Cowboys real quick and Cowboys commanders. Um, they took care of business after a little early hiccup in this game. They really, they kind of just drove it forward there. I mean, Sam Howell did Sam Howell things, which helps, um, you know, and now Rivera's fired for the commanders. So we can talk about them in a second too, but Dallas did what they had to do here in this game. They did. They did. Uh, other than, you know, Brandon Aubrey getting a field goal blocked and then missing another in the second half, which is yeah. just, uh, you know, unheard of uh, for how he's been this season 
yeah, Dallas came out, you know, touchdown on their first drive, then had the field goal block, then Dak threw a pick, and yeah, you, know, you start wondering, all right, well, maybe maybe this could be one of those weird just disaster games. You're not taking it all that seriously. You're on the road in kind of dreary mm-hmm. conditions. Uh, no, <laughs> once it was 10-7, Washington, Dallas, you know, uh, came down midway through the second, scored to make it 14-10, tacked another one on before halftime, scored on its first two drives coming out of the half, and it very quickly went from a kind of worrisome, you're down 10-7 to to you're up 35 to 10 and the game feels completely over. Yep. Yep. So, you know, they, they got out of there with too many uh, major injuries, unlike the Eagles, unlike some other teams out there. So they, they accomplished that the commanders, you know, they were said the report was out before the game that they were going to fire Rivera. So no surprise that he's gone. GM is gone as well. I mean, it's, it's a full, Hey, new ownership. It's their, t- you know, it, that the ownership transfer happened too late last year for them to do anything, but this is, they want to get their people in totally understandable. Uh, and then, you know the commander's performance this year just sealed that off they get the number two overall pick they're going to get a quarterback it's just a question of which one they get they're 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 sitting pretty in a pretty good position there as far as like as far as teardowns go this is this is about what you want i think well they just feel like they're no longer a cursed franchise right like washington's been in this situation in the past and you you see it and you're like well they'll find a way to mess this up and i i think there's you know this new ownership group and new regime still has to prove that it won't do that but I think we're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt of a, mm-hmm. in a way that we obviously never were for good reason with Dan Snyder and the, the decisions that he would make. So, yeah, I mean, I think Washington has a chance if they hit this number two pick to do a complete facelift to kind of change the way that we've thought about them for what's basically been my entire life. I mean, I, I don't remember the, the the heyday of, you know, the the then Redskins when they were one of the premier franchises in the NFL. Like as long as I followed the NFL. Washington has been an average team at best, if not a doormat and a laughingstock. So I think this is their big opportunity to change that. I'm sure you saw this morning they are they're bringing in Bob Myers, of all people, you know, widely known as as kind of the key architect of the Golden State Warriors dynasty. I don't know exactly what his role is going to be. He's not the GM or anything like that, but it sounds right. like it's more of an, a, you know, kind of prominent front office advisory position. I hadn't seen that, actually. That's uh, yeah. that's that's interesting. I wonder if he keeps his ESPN gig because he's it's been. Weird know. hearing him do games and doing studio stuff too, but uh, I think pretty good actually. I've enjoyed him, but He's yeah, it, it, yeah, it, 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 that's a pretty big uh, turnover there. So yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. But I mean, they got that. They also get the Bears' second round pick for the as part of the uh, Montez Sweat deal. So they're they got a lot of draft capital coming in this offseason. I think a lot of cap room too. So this mm-hmm. should be a team that uh, is pretty active this offseason. So we'll see what uh, see what they do with all that. Yeah, I mean, we should mention we have our, you know, the top of the draft obviously locked in now. Chicago, Washington, New England, Arizona, and the Chargers uh, hold the top five picks. So New England, you know, able to avoid the complete disaster. I don't know if we even want to talk about that game. That was as ugly as no, it is. No need. Um, I, I saw a no touchdown, by the way, paid out like 18 to one. Kind of wish I would have thrown down on that. Yeah, I mean, sure. It would, we knew it was going to be ugly. We knew there, there was some snow in the forecast, but that was one that just got progressively worse and worse and worse as the game went along. Like just a perfect, perfect end of the season for both teams. Well, Brees Hall got the touchdown, so you, you're you're, you're glad you did. So you're good there. But uh, Brees Hall, by the way, 500 yards in the last three games, over 500 yards in the last three games. Um, getting more excited about him. Uh, that that's for sure. Uh, in, in the keeper dynasty context, would be, be be pretty big on that one there. Um, but yeah, the, the Pat side of things, ugh, I mean, yeah, just a perfect way to end there. I don't, I, we don't even need to talk about the, them a whole lot more. We got all off season on that. We did talk Belichick earlier. Um, let's just get to the marquee game, the, the game, then the Sunday night game. 
Miami Buffalo because that that was the one that that was the last thing that kind of changed everything there is or like not changed well yeah changed and set a set a set the playoff schedule for us here what a comeback for the Bills you know it looked like they were kind of like the the turnovers are going to finally come back to haunt them and they're going to really get you know get stuck playing the same game next week and instead they're the two seed they host the Steelers and everybody thinks they're live and dangerous now. I'm not even going to have you guess this one, Jeff. The Bills are 10-point favorites over the wow. Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend. And I get it. I'm not – it's not like I'm super high on Pittsburgh. You know, I don't, I don't think they put put forth an overly convincing effort on Saturday. But that's that's still a lot of points, you know, especially considering the total is 35 and a half. Uh, so, you know, a lot of faith in that Buffalo defense or maybe yeah. just no faith in Mason Rudolph. Um, I mean, this like you said, this game started – I would say no short of disastrous fashion for Buffalo. Two picks on your first two drives. You know, one of those picks coming after you matriculated the ball all the way, you know, basically into the end zone. Josh Allen just kind of throwing it up for grabs, doing the same uh, on, on the next one. Uh, the second one was just, you know, that was just the, the quintessential oh. Josh Allen interception. Like somebody somebody tweeted last night, like they should score Josh Allen interceptions right after like like a gymnastics routine. <laughs> I would have that. That, was, that would have been like a 9.8. Yeah. Uh, just an unbelievable decision. Like it, I think it was maybe if you're trying to defend him, like, you know, Gabe Davis did look like he, he got like pushed or his feet got tangled up behind the play. The refs didn't call it. I love that they didn't call it because sometimes they would. I mean, that, that ball absolutely deserved to be intercepted, Yeah. but the bills found a way to rally. And, you know, really it was the, you know, the punt return touchdown Yes. Uh, right, right at the, I think it was right at the end of the third quarter, or early fourth quarter um, that, you know, kind of sparked something for Buffalo because right before that they had, they had punted and they had fumbled on their previous two drives. Yeah, I mean the the sack fumble looked like it was like going to be oh this yeah. is not their night you know and it's like you know you're getting all these passing yards from uh, Allen but uh, nope but you know they they're just like the Eagles now in terms of like every third and one third and two it's it's Allen running Allen running Allen running and yes it's effective I get it um I don't think it's very aesthetically pleasing I'm just I'm maybe I'm just a grouch now I don't want to ban yeah. the tush push or anything like that but I just don't want to see it like 17 <laughs> times a game either. Um, there's a happy medium. Now that said, Allen had some amazing scrambles late. Uh, that that third and eleven scramble where he got the first unreal. down. I mean, there's there's like three quarterbacks that can do that. Him, Hurts, and maybe uh, Justin and Justin Fields. And, and and Allen's so big he can break tackles to do that. And same with Hurts. And that's that's the difference. Yep. Allen looked like he was going to be stopped three yards short and just kept going. Just kept yep. going. I mean, that was a it was a third and thirteen. Actually, he ended up picking 13. up fifteen yards. There was a penalty on Ramsey anyway, uh, but obviously Allen didn't know that at the time. I mean, that was that was really to me the play of the game. Um, yeah, obviously the punt return was huge. You know, the Bills scoring on, on the previous drive to actually go up. That was the the pass to Dawson Knox. Um, but you know, you, you kind of felt like the way Miami had been moving the ball. You know, Buffalo had been a little bit shaky. It's like they they really did not want to give it back to Miami with a real chance. And of course, they ended up doing that anyway. Um, you know. With, with Miami taking over with about what 210 or, or excuse me 150 I'm looking at the wrong drive on the clock but that was huge to run time off for Buffalo uh, you know kind of felt like at, at the time that that might have been the end of the game but you know, of course Miami did have that chance and uh, thankfully if you're a Buffalo fan uh, you know Tua did his best to to ensure that there was no scoring threat yeah uh, and there you know it was weird Tyree Kill wasn't in on that play um, and they ran it to Claypool and it looked like he maybe ran it too long, um, as far as yeah. the, the call, but McDaniel was uh, very, uh, diplomatic said, I put them, I put them in a position there or something like that. Uh, 
Tyreek Hill got kind of knocked around right before that. And, you know, he had been, you know, it was kind of a, at the same time, I was, was kind of like, you know, your whole the game's on the line here. I guess the season's not on the line because you're in the playoffs, but you'd much rather be home for a playoff game than at Kansas City on Saturday night. Um, yeah. and, and it's supposed to be like 14 degrees on, on Saturday yep. night, too, by the way. Um, so it, that's going to be really interesting. But uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was an odd juxtaposition. Now, I think he got knocked pretty good on the that the play right before that there. It was kind of uh, the safety drilled him pretty good. So I get it that he wasn't mm-hmm. in on that play, but still. Uh, I do agree with Buffalo's decision to go for it on fourth down because uh, yep. the game's over if they convert. Whereas if you kick the field goal, you still get 10 minutes. You got two minutes left. Weird things can happen. You may not make the field goal as like a 54 yarder. You know, uh, you know, I think sometimes we announcers kind of start to assume the field goal for 50 yards because kickers are so good these days, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was fine with the decision to go for it there. Now, we didn't even mention that like Buffalo got stymied right at the goal line at the end of the first half there. Um, that yeah. was another weird play. Very weird play. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they got, like you said, stuff late. That was the big one, you know, got stuff before halftime. Uh, we didn't mention with the green Bay Chicago game too. We had a complete breakdown as far as leaving points on the field yes. uh, you know, before halftime there. It was, it was kind of similar to what happened to the Jags. Uh, I forget what game that even was. Was that, was that the Cincinnati game? The Baltimore game? That no, was the Baltimore game, you know, when they yeah. just, you know, ran it basically just ran out of time because he didn't get out of bounds. And uh, you know, we saw some, some kind of bizarre clock management this weekend overall. Yeah. I will say if you're Buffalo, obviously winning this game is big. You get up to the two seed, you get the home game, you avoid playing Kansas City. I, I kind of like the way this this bracket is breaking down for them. I mean, not only do you get what should be the best matchup, but I think the, the kind of one big outlier team to me in the entire post postseason is the Steelers where you're like, all right, you got in, but – I think if you had to rank every single team in terms of danger right now, uh, you know, the, the 14 playoff teams, the Steelers to me would be number 14. Uh, so you feel great about that. And then you start to look like, okay, you know, if, if Miami were to upset the Kansas city chiefs, then they would automatically play the Ravens in the next round. And then you're looking at the winner of, of Houston and Cleveland. And I think if you're Buffalo, you're okay with that, right? You're, you're yeah. okay with that matchup. And, you know, even if it's Kansas city in round two, you know, they're coming to your place now for that game. Yep. Like, Yep. I, I still, you know, I have big time questions about the Bills. I don't think they're back. I, I, I think they've skated by and, and had some things really go their way over the last month or so. But I think the way this bracket breaks down actually is is really favorable for them to at least get to the AFC Championship game. Hundred percent agree. Um, I mean, this this did set up as good as it possibly could given the circumstances. And what a closing finish! I mean, not a, n- not not all these games were works of art, but I mean, winning five in a row and still. You had to do it. And let's face it, a lot of teams have fallen short of that. So, uh, you know, you're right. I think they, this sets up really well. And in retrospect, I'm not really even shocked at the number against the Steelers. Um, but no, I mean, Steelers are not a good team. And, you know, Kansas City, Miami is going to be a great game. Like you said, I think the weather in Kansas City, that certainly plays into the Chiefs' favor. I think they want, it, want this to be a low-scoring game. But that is going to be a super, super fun matchup. You know, I think we can't, we can't just you know, think of the Chiefs in the same way that we have the last few years. Like, oh, playoff game yeah. at Arrowhead, they'll just win that. I mean, I don't... I don't think we can take anything for granted with them. And, you know, the Tyreek return to Kansas City, yeah, that's going to be This awesome. is the all-narrative game. Dude, it's going mean, it... so much fun. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I actually wish there was better weather. Like, normally I like these weird weather games, but for this one specifically, I wish it was like 55 degrees, no wind. Yeah. And instead, we're going to get weather. We're going to get Tyreek homecoming, the Chiefs malaise, Taylor Swift, uh, all these things coming in uh, to the forefront all at once there. Oh, streaming only. Thanks. Thanks. I, I hate that, by the way. I am so annoyed at that. Um, just, you know, I, I just 
the play, you don't mess with the playoffs. I don't. That's just. I know. I think that's I sacrosanct. Game time weather forecast, by the way, as of right now, this game is Saturday night. 10 degrees, 15 mile per hour winds at kickoff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to take me. It may, may take a, a beautiful thing and ruin it. I mean, I think it's it's like the Dolphins lot in life to play a cold weather pl- a road playoff game, though. It just seems like that's yeah. it. I mean, they can't well, get their this home. This is why the Chiefs in. always have their players wear those turtlenecks in the composite photos, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Um, I don't think there's anything else to say about Chiefs Chargers or any of the other games that happened. It's just more just looking at these matchups there. So um, I think yeah. we've hit all of them too, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't have really a whole lot to say. Like, you know, we we were right on the Raiders. We, we knew there'd be some motivation there. We heard it before and after the game. You know, these guys really want Antonio Pierce to get this job. I think that showed through. Yep. It was another pretty uninspiring performance by the Denver Broncos. No no real fantasy takeaways there. I thought Arizona should have won uh, against, against Seattle. Yeah. They ended up covering. Uh, they ended up covering. That was big for the circuit contest. Yeah, I ended up missing a field goal uh, as time expired. That was a 51-yarder. Uh, but I, I think that game went about as expected. And obviously, Seattle you know, in, in the waning moments of that game kind of knew that, that things weren't going to break their way uh, postseason wise. Uh, but that's, a, that's another team that's at a crossroads. And, you know, if you want to hear more on that, listen to us on Sirius XM because we'll be kind of doing some, some offseason autopsies on a lot of these teams. Yeah, exactly. Prater missed two field goals in that game too. Um, yeah. That was that, that, you know, not just the, the last one there at the end, but kudos to both Seattle and the Rams for running two point conversion plays at the end, win or lose. That was the, the smart, you know, yep. Overtime is just not an option at all there. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know that was that was smart of them to do that there. Seattle, I mean, hey, they're go- they're going to have some tough questions this offseason. So we'll see about that. Whether Carroll comes back, uh, this is you know they haven't won a playoff game I think for a while now. I think 2017 mm-hmm. I want to say it's the last playoff win for them. So it's been a while. So they're starting to kind of question where they're at. So we'll see. Uh, and in Arizona, they played hard as they've been doing for the last month. So. Kudos to that. Um, I'm really looking forward to the playoffs. We're going to do a playoff draft on Sirius XM Fantasy on our show uh, on Wednesday night. So looking forward to that. Uh, any other reflections from this week before we uh, sign off for today? No, I think we hit exactly what we needed to hit. Uh, like you said, listen to us, uh, you know, 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time. That's that's how I think of it. You know, I don't I don't know what other time zones people are dealing with. 7 to 9 Central, Monday through Thursday, Sirius XM Fantasy. We'll be talking... All things NFL, mix in some baseball talks, some golf talks, some NBA talk every now and then. But obviously through the playoffs, we will be very NFL dominant. And uh, we'll be keeping this this podcast stream going uh, throughout the offseason as well. We'll be a different schedule. We obviously won't be doing you know weekend recaps every Monday. But we'll have plenty of content throughout the offseason. We'll be talking best balls, talking dynasty, things like that. So um, make sure you keep it locked in on the Rotowire Fantasy Football pod feed, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All right. Before I let you go, I need a prediction tonight for me for uh, Michigan and Washington. I really, really, really want Washington to win this game. This, okay. I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Wisconsin fan. Obviously, they've never you know really sniffed the national title uh, of late. But I've really attached myself to this Washington team. I'm not somebody who roots for my you know the Big Ten. Uh, if anything, I root against the Big Ten. So the number you know swelling to Michigan five and a half that concerns me. I feel like I'm going to be let down. With that said. I'm taking Washington. I think the the Huskies win what will be a relatively high-scoring game by Michigan standards. I will say 38-35 Washington. All right. I hope that comes to fruition because that would be just a hell of a game to watch. 
Um, and that that's I'm rooting for entertainment. That's my that's my rooting interest. Actually, my mom went to Michigan, so I'll probably root for them. But okay. I I do understand the impulse not to reflexively root for your own conference because let's face it, they don't really care about you. They're not they don't care about it. It doesn't make Wisconsin look better just because right. it, I yeah. I get that if you're in like a mid major conference because like the amount of money yeah. that brings in, you know, it's like the rising tide lifts all boats type of thing. No, Michigan winning does not in any way help Wisconsin, in my opinion. If anything, that gives them even more of a leg up than they already have. So, no, I will be – I don't really care that much. You know, it's not, it's not like I'm going to be, like, you know, slamming around items if, if Michigan wins this game. But Washington is just so fun, man. I mean, this is yep. – I, I was telling my buddies the other night, I'm like, you know, this is a team that if I was in seventh grade, I would – I guarantee you I would have asked for, like, a Roma Dunze jersey for Christmas. Nice. Nice. I love it there. Um, all right. Well, that's going to do it. Thanks for everybody for listening and thanks for listening all season long with our recap podcast. We'll uh, still have regular podcasts uh, that, that Rotowire will every week throughout, the, you know, even through the off season, we'll still do have a lot of good stuff, but uh, this is our last recap podcast. So thanks everybody for tuning into that all season long. Uh, enjoy the playoffs, everybody. Take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.